Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. Just to look ahead at what we're doing, I think this week and next week we will be talking about the Psalm for Wednesday, Psalm 94. Then we will take a break of three weeks. We have Hanukkah when our schedule will be different. Then is the Tuesday in between Christmas and New Year's, which I'm just going to declare I'm taking that week off. And then the first Tuesday in January is the 10th of Tevet, which is one of the daytime fast days when we will be doing Avino Malkano and laning. And I think that will also make our schedule difficult. So we're going to meet this week and next week, the first two Tuesdays in December, and then we'll be off until January 10th. We will miss three Tuesdays. Okay. So we're doing the Psalm for Wednesday, page 87 in the slim page 26 in the sim or um, Psalm 94 in your Tanakh at home. And just to set the Stage, remind us where we are psychologically in the week. So we're emerging from Shabbat feeling, uh, even though it's not Yom Kippur, feeling kind of purified and cleansed and Shabbosdika because we had our enlarged soul, our Neshama Yatera. We emerge into the week. Day one, we talk about the, the person who is of clean hands and pure heart. This is the godly person, by implication, who we hope we all are. This is the one who's worthy to be in God's house. Day two, we talk about the godly city, which, of course, concretely is Jerusalem, but metaphorically, as my friend Irv H., who used to come to Minion, said, it could be any city, right? So uh, Sunday is any man, and Monday is any town. Any town can be the city of Tzedek. Mishpat and Chesed. All sounds great. Tuesday, we're starting to wilt a little bit. Okay. Cause we're saying, okay, God, so as God stands up in the council of the, either the gods or the angels or the human judges, however you interpret it. And, and you know what? Those other leaderships, those other gods or angels or human judges, they're not doing such a great job. They have feet of clay. They're mortal. They're disappointing. We're disappointed in them. We realize that the only true justice judgment comes from God. God is the only true judge. The mood declines further heading into Wednesday, which I would also like to point out is the, as someone pointed out to me once, never occurred to me, is the furthest point in the week away from Shabbat, right? Even even before Wednesday was referred to as hump day, right? It was the furthest day in the week away from Shabbat. And this, in fact, is kind of, I'm going to call it in the daily Psalms, sort of the low point psychologically. Okay, here we go. Today is Wednesday, and here's the Psalm we say. El Nekamot Adonai El Nekamot Hofia. Okay, God of, here it's translated as retribution. Nekamot is sometimes revenge. It can be, um, you know, recompense for evildoers. I was trying to think of another word of retribution. But we can say retribution. God of retribution, Hashem, God of retribution, appear. What is the implication if I am requesting that God appear? That you feel God is absent. God has not appeared. 
Where are you? Well, I can, I can interpret it differently. Okay, Michael. God is not has not uh, abandoned. God is, is still present, but but the attribute of retribution is not in the forefront, and that's where. Okay. Okay. I got it. Um, although again, I, I, the, the, the grammar in the Hebrew is pretty simple. It's that El Nekamo, yes, the God of retribution, apparently is, has not yet appeared. That's what I'm feeling. Sorry. That's what the psalmist is feeling. So the psalmist is saying, new, appear already. Rise up, O judge of the world and return the deserving justice to the arrogant, the justice they deserve. Sorry, those are bad, right? Uh, punish the arrogant as they deserve. Okay, right? There's still something screwy here. Yeah. Well, we always associate Adonai with, with compassion and Elohim with... I got it. That's, that's if you're rabbinic and you're assuming that, uh, you know, I, I, you, you couldn't, You'd have to wrestle with this, Michael. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the assumption of the book of Psalms. I think that's a retrojected interpretation that God's name, yud Kevavke is attributed with mercy, whereas Elohim with his severity. Or uh, you could say, well, we need severity, but I want you to appear God and do it mercifully. How about that? Okay. Not a, not a, like, not a Sodom and Amorah kind of trick. Right. Uh, something like that. So anyway, rise up, O judge, and, 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 you know, pay those evildoers back, the, the arrogant. Admatai Rishaim Adonai, Admatai Rishaim Ya'alozu. Um, there is, um, by the way, this is a little like the first line, El Nikamot, structurally. There's, there's some technical term for that. Um, I don't remember what it is. It's when you, Start a line in the first half of your sentence and you finish it in the second half of your sentence. So I want you to hear it in the first line. El Nakamot Hashem, El Nakamot Hofia, right? Admatai Rishaim Hashem, Admatai Rishaim Ya'alozu, right? Admatai Rishaim, how long will the wicked is a partial sentence. It is not grammatically a full sentence. How long the equivalent would be something in English like, how, you know, it's not bad. How long, by the way, the English translation doesn't quite capture it. It says, how long, Adonai, how long shall the wicked exult? It's really, if you look at the Hebrew, how long shall the wicked, O oh God, how long shall the wicked exult or rejoice? Ali's means jolly. Um, yeah. Uh, it also for, for a time in Israeli slang meant gay. Like homosexual, I don't mm-hmm. think they they I don't think that would be the word for gay nowadays. Actually, nowadays the word in you know what the word in in Hebrew is for gay people, gayim. Okay, <laughs> you know what the word is for trans people, transim. Okay, um, so aliz means to exult, to rejoice, to be happy. So again, the implication is what are the wicked doing right now? They are being happy. So there's an implication here that the state of the world, we're going to read the specifics of the state of the world in a moment, right? But the implication is the state of the world is not good, right? The wicked are rejoicing. 
the arrogant have not yet received their just desserts, and the God of uh, who requites evil has not yet appeared, or at least is not um, is not apparent to us. I'll stick with the word appear. Okay, what are they doing, those evil doers? Yabiu yadabru atak it amru kol poale aven. Uh, these are actually hard Hebrew words, and so our English translator has gone a little bit metaf- uh, um, idiomatic in English, and that's perfectly fine. Swaggering, boasting, they exude arrogance. It literally means something like they express and speak. Um, atak usually sort of means wickedness or falsehood or something like that. And yit amru is the hitpael the reflexive of Amar to say. So it's sort of like they say of themselves, and that's how it gets translated as boasting. Okay? Uh, all the evildoers. So all the evildoers, were, uh, Barbara, were in the Psalm for Wednesday, page 87 or page 26, or Psalm 94. Thanks for asking. Um, so anyway, all those evildoers, they're all talking big. Okay? They're, they're boasting. They're, they're expressing themselves arrogantly. Not only are they talking, Amcha Adonai Yidaku, Venachalatcha Yeanu. They are, uh, trampling, crushing your people and oppressing your portion, your portion of your, your, your inheritance, your portion. Now on this, uh, what's your, when I say trampling your people, what's your immediate reflex? When I say, what's your people? People of Israel. Right. So that would be the immediate reflex. Okay. So which would suggest that is it, is it suggest Gentile nations oppressing the Jews? That, that, you know, that's kind of usually our assumption, but let's go on. They kill the widow and the Immigrant, if I may say that, and they slaughter the orphans. So we have here the three category, you know, the, the classic, um, triumvirate, troika of the people who are the least able to defend themselves in society. Almana, the atom, and the ger, presumably because they do not have any family to defend them in a, society which is sort of family and clan based in terms of justice they stand alone they have no money in the bank okay so this sort of suggests that somehow well or or i just want to raise it as a question is this just somehow parallel to amen nahala meaning they oppress your nation they oppress the poor or is the almana, the ger, and the yatom, the widow, the stranger, and the orphan, is that somehow an amplification of who the am is that we're talking about, that the evildoers are oppressing? Who are God's people who are getting oppressed? It's the downtrodden. It's the ones who can't defend themselves in society. So at first blush, our assumption is, oh, this is something about the Jews being you know, oppressed, but there, there's, I think there's not much else here. We'll, we'll see. Uh, 
although the Am and the Nachala are mentioned later on, there's not much here in the Psalm that really gives it a nationalistic feel, right? So I would argue that Am and Nachala here, if it doesn't specifically refer to the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, it might just mean the people, right? Or as we now say in politics, when we want to refer to working class people, folks. Okay. So they're oppressing the folk. They're oppressing the people. I don't think this is particularly Gentiles versus Jews because there's nothing else at the Psalm that really hints at that very clearly. Uh, uh, there, there definitely are traditional interpretations that say that. Okay. That it's about you know, the Gentiles oppressing the Jews, but I, I don't necessarily see that in the shot. So these evil Jewers are rejoicing because they they're getting away with murder, literally. Okay. Vayomru, and they say, who is they? We'll just leave that hanging. Lo yireyah, velo yavin elohe Yaakov. They say, God doesn't see any of this, or God can't see. Literally just means God doesn't see. And Elohei Yaakov, the God of Jacob, just another epithet of God, does not, literally means does not understand or discern because it's parallel to see here. Our translator has it as pays no heed. That's good enough for me. Okay? So who says that? The evildoers. Yes, that is one possibility. And what's the other possibility? Who are the other people? Jews themselves. Which people? The uh, the Jews themselves. Which Jews? Uh, yeah. Which Jews are we talking about? Those that are subject of the, of yeah, the, the folks. The folks. The folks. The folks. The ones who are getting st- st- stepped on. Okay? So it could mean, I, I think it could mean either one. By the way, notice the different sense of it either way. If it's the evildoers then they're saying, ha ha, we can get away with anything we want because God doesn't exist. Essentially what that means. God's not going to do anything. If in fact it's the oppressed themselves, those who are being taken advantage of saying it, then the tone is, look what we're going through and God doesn't do anything. Yeah. Everyone get the different sense of that depending on who they say. And of course, I suppose there's a third possibility, a more neutral one. Because we, we're, we are going to get to another category of people in a moment. Okay. I guess the third possibility is just, just like, you know, just like in English, when we use the phrase, they say, who's the they, you know, everyone, them, whatever. Right. So it could just be not the oppressors, not necessarily the people who are getting squished, but just sort of the general, oh, People say, well, it looks like God can't hear and can't see. Doesn't say here. Can't see and doesn't know. That's what that means. God th- doesn't see and doesn't know. That's what it means. Lo yerev, lo yavin. So it could be third category of people, which could be in theory something like us, maybe, right? Not the directly oppressed, but some others who see this going on in the world, who say, well, I guess God doesn't see and doesn't care. Everyone follow that? So I think there are really three possibilities of who says. You know, there's no stage instructions about the tone of voice, okay? And so 
it's open to interpretation. Okay, pause. Alan? Yeah. Alan, then Michael O. Yeah, if, if we go back, though, we talk about these people that are exuding arrogance, that yes. are boastful and yes. swaggering. Yep. So it seemed to be, and it follows through, it's they, it seems like. So it, I think it appears for based on that, and it's, it's coming through that way, it seems to be that these are the, the, boast- the boasters. The boasters, and this is part of their swaggering. Yeah. Okay. All right. That is an interpretation. Absolutely. Yeah. Michael O. Yes. Can, uh, Rabbi Avi, can this be, uh, based on when, when was this written? This, I, I don't know. 500 BCE, 1000 BCE, you know, we'll round it off. 1000 to 500 BCE. Uh, or you could say it was, written by King David at some moment in his life. I didn't happen to look at a traditional commentary to, to look at. You know, the traditionalists sometimes say, the, King David wrote this psalm when, da-da-da, something in his personal story. I don't happen to know off the top of my head. I'll look that up for next week. But go ahead, Michael. But when was it written? Michael, you're asking when it was written. I mean, does this help you at all, 500 to 1,000 BCE? Does that have an effect on what... Uh, you know, what is being said. In other words, like, uh, like if these evildoers or, uh, if the temple had been destroyed or if, or okay. something happened, okay. you know, okay. uh, that, could, that could be, I'll, 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 I'll parry back at you a little bit on this. Uh, oh, you're looking for some moment in history where the helpless were taken advantage of as opposed to, the rest of history when the helpless were not taken advantage of? I mean, yeah. why, yeah. why do you think, why, why do we think the Torah and the Psalms are always talking about the poor, the orphan and the widow? Cause they're always getting it. Right. So yes, one, one could look for a moment. Well, we would say, Oh, not during the rule of King Solomon, who, you know, who judged justly and, and every person sat under their vine and under their fig tree and none to make them afraid. You know, the mythical Pax Solomonica about, you know, 950 BCE before the kingdom split, um, uh, you know, when, when everything was good. It, it, by the way, go read the book of uh, One Kings. Everything was good, except if you were one of the forced laborers who was forced to go to Lebanon for one month out of every three to cut down trees to build Solomon's palace. So maybe it wasn't even great for everyone then, he said somewhat cynically. Okay. Bernie, then Barbara. Um, Avi, do you, do you think that the, the Levites, um, spoke to the, to throngs, uh, by doing these different psalms on different days that maybe Wednesday was getting People were forgetting the Shabbat and God and the Torah or, or, uh, I mean, and I don't think it matters what era this was written because, I mean, did today, do the rabbis speak to the, to the crowd or does the minister speak to the crowd or do politics address current events? Um, um it's a good question, Bernie. Um, we don't really know. I mean, again, the Mishnah says this is what the Levites recited. Um, there were, regular people who were present at parts of the temple service. They didn't come into the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, 
um, to actually see the sacrifices because that was a precinct that only Kohanim and Levim could be in. But, um, but there was an outer courtyard where regular Israelites came, including a courtyard for women. There was a separation. It wasn't necessarily a machitza the way we see it in modern Orthodox schools, but there was, you know, the, the general Israelite section, but then there was the women's section and the women were not. So there, w- there was, it, this may have been a public recitation, long-winded answer. Maybe. Yeah. But yes, people may have been there. Right. Barbara. Thank you. Uh, I looked it up. The Psalms span a time frame of about a thousand years. Most of the Psalms were written between 1010 and 930 BC during the time of David and his son Solomon. That's what, pardon me, pardon me, our Barbara. What is your source? That's some from source, meaning that, that would not be, you know, between a thousand and nine hundred would not necessarily be what a Bible scholar would say. Well, um, <laughs> what's your source? My source. Yes. Um, it's on Google. Okay. Um, but Avi, I, aren't, aren't the, my point is being that, I'm just saying, yeah, the, the traditional point of view is that the Psalms were written by King David and the, you know, critical Bible scholar view is, is most of the Psalms were written sometime during the first temple period, except for a whole bunch of them, which were written during the second temple period. Well, it says that the Psalm 90 was the oldest Psalm was written by Moses in approximately 1500 BC. Barbara, you are like my rabbinical students. I looked it up on Google, and therefore, it is a fact. I don't know. I'm just saying what's written on here. Dr. B, is this how we know information? We look it up on Google, and the first thing that pops up is the factual answer? Well, I looked at two things, and they both said the same. Two things on Google. Okay. All right. I'm poking at you, Barbara. All right. Okay. I realize I'm not insulted. Okay. All right. If you're you're hearing it on audio... Without the video, I'm smiling as I'm saying that, as I'm rebuking Barbara for, I looked it up on Google, and that's when it was written. Okay, I'm going to go on, because I, I want to, um, uh, okay, so that's what someone is saying. God doesn't see. Again, it's either the arrogant, or the downtrodden themselves, or the third-party bystanders, who, of course, is sort of potentially us. Well, I guess this is how the world works. Right? The arrogant and the powerful and the wicked smash down the helpless. And I guess that's how it is. I guess that's how it's always been. I guess that's how it's always going to be because God doesn't see and doesn't know and doesn't care. Okay. So that's an, a third interpretation. Then the psalmist says, then a change of, of emotional direction. Binu boarim ba'am uchsili matai taskilu. Hey, wise up, you fools among the folk. And fools, when are you going to wise up? We have two parallel words for binu and taskilu, which means, you know, discern and wise up. They're just two ways of saying, you know, hey, don't you understand? Um, And boarim and xilim, two poetic epithets for uh, foolish or misguided or ignorant or something like that. So now the psalmist is talking. So given that it was just someone, they were saying, plural, vayomru, they were saying, 
it seems like the psalmist is now turning to they and saying, hey, when are you going to understand? So the psalmist seems to be rebuking the sayers, which perhaps argues that it's not the downtrodden, choice two, but it's choice one or choice three. It's either to the arrogant or to the regular folk bystanders. But the psalmist is saying, hey, when are you going to wise up? Hanota ozen halo yishma, imyotzer ayin halo yobit, halo yabit, the one who creates hearing the ear, literally. You think that one, I'm trying to not be gendered and not say he, okay? You think that one doesn't hear? The one who creates sight, you think that one doesn't see? Implication, who are we talking about? This is not a trick question. God. God. God created, right? We started with, we started just with, um, Yire and Yavin. God does not see and does not pay heed. Okay. And here we have hearing and seeing. God creates hearing. You think God doesn't hear? God creates your sense of sight. You think God doesn't see? Rhetorical questions to which, of course, the answer would be, would seem to be yes. Right. It's a rhetorical question that implies that, you know, what the answer is. For, by the way, that hey, um, for those who pay attention to Hebrew, hey at the beginning of a word with that vowel, which is called a chataf patach or an abbreviated patach. It's a line with two dots next to it. Hey, with that vowel on, under it at the beginning of the word is called a hey hasha It is the it makes it an interrogative. By the way, in English, we don't do this. It would be helpful at the beginning of a sentence if you told the reader, this is going to be a question. So in Spanish, they put in an upside down question mark. And in Hebrew and in Arabic, they put in a particle to tell you that it's an interrogative. And in English, we don't have that. We're kind of impoverished that way. Right. But it says that which follows is a question. Does the one who create the ear not hear? Does the one uh, im is parallel to that, and then so it means the same one. It's also a question. Does the one who reproves the nations, disciplines the nations, okay, mm-hmm. does the one who disciplines the nations not chastise the one who teaches wisdom to humans? So here, chastisement somehow emerges, is somehow connected to da'at, knowledge, wisdom. There's some intermediate step here of like mishpat comes from wisdom. It's not quite made explicit, but it's interesting that they're parallel here. Eye and ear, I get that. They're senses. But you'd have to say, huh, that, that, um, that punishment is parallel to wisdom or discernment. Okay. I'm going to do one more line. So, oh, you think God does do, you think God is silent? Right? You think God doesn't do anything? You think the God who created this whole system, human discernment, hearing, seeing, oh, you think God does not discern, hear, and see? One more line. Adam Kihema Havel. God knows human thoughts that they are Futile, that word from the book of Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, futile, 
pointless, you know, translated in Ecclesiastes as vanity because that's somehow what vanity meant in 1611, you know, in the King James Bible, not the way, not what vanity means today, but something, some empty, futile, pointless. God understands human thoughts here, which might mean plans that are ultimately futile, which, which could either be the thing that you're thinking, those machshavot, that God is absent, that Elvis has left the building. Either that's yeah. what's referred to, that's the thought that's referred to as hevel, empty, pointless, right? Or the thoughts of the wicked thinking, ha, I can get away with this because God doesn't see, right? Those, those thoughts are futile. Or the bystander, right, or uh, I think I said this, the bystander saying, well, God doesn't, God's not going to do anything. God never does anything, right? Um, um, the psalmist might be saying, oh, those thoughts of yours about God, that's what's hevel. By the way, the literal concrete meaning of hevel, hevel havalim, vanity of vanities. Anyone know what the, what's a hevel? We need a good Hebrew. If, if Vered were here, she would tell us. Hevel, it literally is water vapor. It, it's what comes out of your mouth on a cold winter morning. So it means it doesn't happen all that often in Los Angeles. Okay. Vered is apologizing for not being here. She okay. Had to okay. So, to so that's, that's what Hevel is. In other words, Hevel is a, th- literally, it means water vapor. Okay. So literally, so the connotation of it is something that appears to be substantial, but that is actually insubstantial. It's a metaphoric word to mean something that you thought was something, because like you saw the breath come out of your mouth on a cold winter morning, but you try, what, what would happen, what happens to it? It disappears. And if you try to grab it, there's nothing there. Evanescent would be the fancy fancy English word for that. Okay. Evaporating. It appears substantial, but it's really nothing. That's what Hevel is. So it's used metaphoric to metaphorically uh, in Kohelet and Ecclesiastes to mean it's something that you think is a thing, but it's really nothing. Pointless. Okay. So I'm going to wrap this up. We're going to wrap up the first half of the Psalm. Okay. So the wicked are getting away with all this bad stuff. And they say, or some, or the poor say, or someone says, God doesn't listen. And then, binu boarim ba'am, the psalmist is saying, hey, wise up, dummies. Okay. You think God doesn't know what's going on? God knows what people are, God knows all the pointless narishkeit that people are planning. Okay. So I will leave you hanging in the middle of the psalm for next week with the question raised uh, by the opening line, El Nekamot Hofia, up here. So if the psalmist is making this argument, of course God sees and hears, then at this point in the psalm, I, the hearer, are left saying, okay, so God sees and hears and discerns. So when is God going to? appear and do something about the evildoers so that we can hopefully anticipate a good resolution of in the second half of the psalm, which we will go on to next week. There we go. If you have any more thoughts or comments, hold on to them for next week. It's 845. I got to stop. 
And everyone have a good, healthy day. Try to avoid COVID and be Torah. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.